Today we're going to conclude a series entitled Sticks and Stones where we've been discussing how God desires us as his people to speak and communicate in our daily lives. I invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's word. And if you can't physically stand, then I encourage you, you can stand in, or you can stand in your heart and just reverencing the Lord there at your seat. So 1 Peter chapter 4 beginning in verse 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. You can underline that in your Bible. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I truly pray today. Lord, would you speak to your people? God, I, I pray, Father, that you would God, give me your words. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would move and work in the hearts and lives of every person here. You know who they are. And God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage, Peter is pointing followers of Jesus to some specific actions that they should do or be doing in light of the return of the Lord. Notice he starts off there, the end of all things is near. And so basically reminds us that Peter calls for every Christian to live with the expectancy of the Lord's return. Adrian Rogers said that every Christian should live as if Jesus died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming again tomorrow. And so as Peter brings that to mind, the end of all things is near, he then gives them some actions, some things that they should be doing in preparation of the Lord's return. And he gives them some, some real foundational things. He tells them to continue to be prayerful. He tells them to make sure that they are being loving, to be hospitable, to use their gifts God has given them to serve each other in preparation of the Lord's return. But right there at the beginning of verse 11, he gives them some commands concerning what they should be doing with their words. And it's pretty powerful. He says, whoever speaks, which is all of us, is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Now, we, we just need to take a pause there for a moment and think about the gravity of that command. If you speak, you are to do so as though God is speaking through you, to speak the very utterances of God. Now, now Ultimately, he's saying that God wants to speak through each and every one of us and in a powerful way. Now, for some reason, we're okay with that being the case with Moses. We're okay with that being the case with David or Jeremiah or Peter or Paul. In some cases, you're even okay with that being the case for your pastor or your Sunday school teacher, your life group leader, or whoever that may be, the person who's discipling you. But the vast majority of us, when we really take that passage, you're like, surely, God, you don't mean me. But the reality is he's saying everyone, whoever speaks, is to speak as though he is speaking the very utterances of God. Now you may ask the question, say, well, Pastor Zach, what does that even look like? What does it look like to speak the utterances of God? Very simply, he's calling them to godly speech. 
He's calling them that to make sure that our words represent God in person and in character. You know, there was once a time in church when we used the terminology of godly and worldly to differentiate between people and actions that represented God and those that represented the world. This was a common illustration in the church and among Christians because in general, we as Christians once were aware of the fact that we were supposed to look starkly different than the rest of the world around us because of our relationship with Jesus. Now, sadly... We don't use that terminology of godly or worldly that much anymore. And I believe we've lost something because of that. But one of the main ways that we are supposed to be able to tell the difference between what is godly in our speech and worldly is in our communication. What comes out of our mouths should differentiate us from those others in the world. In fact, Solomon in Ecclesiastes 10, 12, he broke down everything that we say into two different categories. He says, words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. Even Solomon broke down the fact that there is good speech and bad speech. There is worldly speech and, uh, and, and godly speech. There is righteous speech and unrighteous speech. And last week, we talked about the speech that dishonors God all the way that we are not supposed to speak. And I had so many people come to me and be like, man, Pastor Zach, that one was tough last week. And I, and I was quick to tell them, say, you know, that's tough for you to sit through an hour. I had to sit through that all week. And then I had to play golf on Friday before I preached. And if there's anything that will challenge your mouth, it's your golf game. You know, so. But the title of our, somebody said amen. <laughs> That's funny. But the title of our sermon today is, today we want to talk about what is it, what, how should we speak? So the title of our sermon today is God's purpose in our words. Just like last week, I'm going to be pulling from all over Scripture uh, this morning. But I want to give you three forms of speech that we should aspire to as Christians. If you're keeping notes today, the first form of godly speech that we should aspire to is that our words would be graceful. Now, if you'd like to, you can turn over with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. I already been on the screen there as well. But in Colossians 4, the Apostle Paul said this. Let your speech always be seasoned, be, be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now, basically, there's, kinda, there's a, a couple of main phrases here that we need to pick up on as we look at that passage. The first is the fact that as Paul is talking about our speech, he says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. And so he reminds us of the idea that, that our words should be consistently those things that honor God. We, we, we shouldn't just speak uh, uh, well on Sunday mornings or well w- with our family around our kids, but our speech should be perpetual. It should be something that is consistent. We should intend to speak gracefully all the time. But the second phrase we need to see in this verse is actually the central command of this verse where he calls us that our speech would always be with grace. Now, as Christians, we love to talk about grace. We love to sing about grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We love the the, the hymn that says, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse with him. We love talking about grace and rightfully so. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. But the reality is, is when we talk about grace in that context, context, we're talking about God's favor given to us as sinners 
through the mercy of Jesus. That's what we mean by God's grace there. But the same is true today as it was in the Scriptures, that words uh, may have different meanings depending on their context. And I have a 12-year-old daughter, and she's kind of keeping me up to date on the different kind of slang and things that are going on right now. And, and she taught me one recently that if something is good or cool, it is sick, you know. That's kind of a... But, but there's different contexts. You could take a teenager, if they walk into the doctor right now, and, and, and they've got a fever and all kind of stuff, and they look at the doctor, they say, I am so sick right now. Well, then you would recognize that they need some sort of medical treatment or some sort of care. But if you take that same teenager and you invite the entire student body of Mormon Jordan High School out into the parking lot, and you pull one name out of a hat, and, and that teenager that pulled out of the hat, they are given a brand new Corvette in the presence of all the other students. And they get in that Corvette and crank it up and put their hands on the wheel, and they, they say, How do you feel? And they say, I feel so sick right now. You know, it's different. It's different in the context there. One's positive and one's negative. Here in Colossians chapter 4. As he says, let our speech be with grace. He's not talking about the favor of God. He's going back to the root word of what grace means. One of the root words of grace is to be cheerful. He's talking about the the demeanor of our speech, the tone of our speech. Other words that that can include would be that our speech would be filled with joy, with pleasure, with delight, with sweetness, with charm and loveliness. You know, church, all over the Bible, we see where the words of God's people should be sweet and lovely. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant are the words, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Friends, a good measure to see that if our words are graceful could be that when you begin to speak, do people desire to come near? Do they desire to listen to you or be in your presence because your words are sweet? Or do they brace themselves or try to avoid you because your words are always harsh or always unkind or always things that do not bring healing but bring brokenness to your speech? Graceful speech is that speech that is sweet. And then the third phrase that Paul uses here in this passage is how he compares graceful speech to salt. He says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. Now salt was very useful in the ancient world just like it is today, but even more so in the ancient world because it brought preservation. They could rub it into meat and certain things that would allow it to last longer. And of course they used it in the same way that we do. It flavored things. It made things taste better. At the very least... Salt was something that changed things. It changed the preservation lifestyle, uh, lifespan of certain sorts of food. It changed the way things taste. And what Paul is talking about here, he's saying that our speech should not only be sweet, but it should also be salty. It should change things. I thought about calling this point in my message sweet and salty speech, but I thought that sounded too much like a menu item at Ming's Garden. So we decided to hold off on that. But, but, the, but the truth is he's saying there that our words should change things. Most importantly, it should impact other people's lives in a positive way. Let me give you a few ways that our words can impact people's lives when we speak gracefully. First, encouraging words can have great impact on people's lives. You know, in Hebrews 3.13, the writer of Hebrews says, For us to encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. 
Well, you don't have to read too much into that. They're basically saying every day is still called today. So we should always be a people who are encouraging one another. And, and I heard a pastor say one time a great definition of encouragement means to put courage into someone. To lift them up, to strengthen them. And if we're true and honest with ourselves this morning, all of us have those moments where we need a little encouragement. Me included. Church, believe it or not, not everyone is always nice to the pastor. <laughs> Some of you are laughing. It may be you. Anyway, that, that's... <laughs> Some people come in on Sunday morning. As, uh, I heard somebody say one time, they sit down, they cross their arms, they scowl at the pastor and say, bless me if you can, preacher. <laughs> But the truth is, there's been those moments when I've been low and somebody God used them to speak an encouraging word into my soul. And it was like God just put a spiritual IV into me and lifted me up when I needed it. Friends, your graceful words to someone of encouragement might be the voice that God uses to lift people up when they are in a very dark place. Secondly, comforting words can have a great impact on people's lives. They can be sweet and salty in people's lives. Encouraging words build people up. Comforting words, they wrap people up. They soothe them. The Bible has a lot to say about how we should comfort one another with our words. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, as as Paul is teaching about the return of the Lord, he says this, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Basically, he's saying, as you take from the truth of God's word, you can speak God's word over people, and it can bring comfort to them. And then in 2 Corinthians chapters 1, verses 3 and 4, he says this. This is good. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Basically, this reminds us, these, these, these verses remind us that there's two ways that we can comfort one another in our words. One of the primary ways we can do that is by reminding people the truths of God's word. When they're going through difficult situations, to let them know that God loves them and that he sees them. Let me tell you another aspect that God can use your words to comfort other people is when you have a personal testimony of God's faithfulness in your life during a dark situation, and you're able to speak that to somebody else who is going through a similar situation. I remember getting a phone call one time from a man that I barely knew, but he was a godly man, and it was during a great tragedy in my life, probably the the, the hardest tragedy that I had gone through at that point in my life. I was dealing with a lot of anxiety, a lot, a lot of fearfulness in that, and a lot of stress going through this situation. And a friend of mine called me who had gone through the same type of tragic event, and he encouraged me in Jesus. But I won't forget one, one word that he said to me was, Buddy, I promise you it will get better. Man, I promise you it will get better. And I, I can't tell you the hope That that spoke into my soul in a dark moment. And it was that word that I clung to a year later when we were still enduring it. Still kind of going through those moments that, that, that that, that there was hope that it will get better. And he was absolutely true. But I needed that hope. I needed that comfort in those dark moments. Some of you are in here today. You have the ability through your life experiences to comfort people with your words at a level which others cannot. Those of you who have lost a parent or a sibling or a child can comfort those going through the same terrible situations. 
Those of you who've gone through cancer or dealt with addiction in your family can comfort others in a special way that some people cannot if they've not experienced that. Some of you this morning who have already raised your children and you see these mamas and daddies checking in their toddlers in, into the children's building and it looks like it is just by the grace of God that they're making it in this morning. You can comfort people with those words. Come up to that mama who's crying and come here trying to worship Jesus when she's told everybody on the way to church, if y'all don't hush, I'm going to kill every one of you. you know? <laughs> Those words can be encouraging to others. Rick Warren said, God always wants to take your pain and give it purpose. And that's one of the ways that God can do this. One of the ways you can comfort other people is by the pain that God has walked you through. Now you can help others go through that as well. Also, truthful words can have great impact on people's lives. In Ephesians 4, 15, Paul said, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ. He's talking about when people begin to drift away from God, when they begin to get away from the Lord, begin to walk into sinful paths and actions that they shouldn't. Who are your brothers and sisters in Christ? As Christians, we are not called to judge uh, those who are, who are not followers of Jesus. We can't expect lost people to act like anything other than lost people. But if you have brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to hold one another accountable. And sometimes those are the words that we speak to one another that we honestly don't want to hear at the moment, but we all need to hear. And finally, wise words can have great impact on people's lives. In Proverbs 12, 18, it says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. And that's what we talked about last week, that slanderous words. It's just like they cause injury. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. How often when it talks about godly speech in Scripture, it talks about that words brings, those words bring healing to people's soul. This passage reminds us that wise words can bring blessing, great blessings. And all over Scripture we see where God calls us to have wise people around us, how that's of incredible value in our lives. Wisdom is often something that comes with age and experience. And if God has given you wisdom in certain areas when possible, we should share that with others around you. I'm so glad that here at Enon we are a church of multiple generations and there is wisdom that can be found in every generation, in both the younger and the older generations. If you're here today and you're a younger man or woman, I encourage you to seek out the friendship and companionship of those in the older generation. You will be better for it. And I would say the same to the older generation. If you don't have any godly young people in your life that are serving God faithfully and passionately, seek them out for friendship and companionship. You will be better for it. You may get some new slang in your language. You may be walking into your Sunday school class and say, that lesson was so sick, you know. (laughs) But the reality is, is that God has called us to speak gracefully to one another. The second form of godly speech that we should aspire to is that our words would be intentional. When I talk about being intentional with our words, I mean that our our words should be thought out, meditated upon, timely. Being intentional with your words means that when you speak, you say exactly what you intended to say in that moment. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about how we should be intentional with our words. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus spoke about the dangers of being careless with our words and not intentional. He said, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. 
And think about that. Scripture calls us to think intentionally about what we say. The primary verse, though, that I want us to look at this morning about being intentional with our words comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. So if you could flip back a couple of chapters there to the book of Ephesians, and again, it'll be on the screen. We looked at this verse last week. Paul said, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But I want you to look at this next statement. But only such a word as is good for edification, which means to build up, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace, there it is again, to those who hear. Graceful speech should lead us to intentional speech. The first thing that Paul points out here is that Christians should only say good words. We talked about that last week. But if you look at the remainder of this verse, Paul also talked about how our words should be timely and intentional. He said that we should say those words that are according for the need of the moment. Now, you may not have known it before, but there are moments when you can say the right thing at the wrong time. And those moments are usually those moments, like Andy Griffith said to Barney one time, said, Barney, how can that great big old foot fit all the way in my mouth? How many of you had those situations before where you've stuck your foot in your mouth? It's like as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're like, no, you want to grab it and pull it back in. An example of saying the right thing at the wrong time could be when a person first gets diagnosed with cancer. Your first statement to someone doesn't need to be, well, if things don't work out, at least you know you'll go to heaven. (laughs) That would be the most unloving, uncaring, untimely statement you might could give in that moment. The reality is there may come a day when, yes, you need to hear that truth, but in the moment... And they need to hear the word from the Lord about the fact that God is a healer. He's a sustainer. He is a rescuer. Another example of saying the right thing at the wrong time could be in the early days after a couple has had a miscarriage. You know, it would be wrong to say to that couple, cheer up, you're young, you have plenty of time to have another child. That may be true. But in that moment, that couple, more than likely, they need someone to grieve with them, to love them, not try to breeze past a tragic event like it didn't happen. Church, this passage in Ephesians 4.29 reminds us that in every situation we face where we need to respond to someone, there is an appropriate word for the moment. I want you to think about this for a moment. But according to Scripture, any time that you are called upon to speak, there is something God would want you to say. We don't think intentionally that way, but everything that comes out of our mouth, there is something that God would have us to say. So let me give you a few thoughts about being intentional with our words. First, we need to know that God is on record for letting his people know what to say when they need it. We see it all over Scripture. God told Moses in Exodus 4, 12, he says, Now go then, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you are to say. He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 when he was called to be a prophet at a young age and was fearful about his calling. He says, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And in Matthew chapter 10 verse 19, as Jesus is speaking to those who will one day suffer persecution for his name. This is what he says. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. Friends, if we desire to be intentional with our words, we need to know and trust that God can help us in that. God can give you the words of what you should say in those moments when you need to respond. 
Secondly, the Bible makes it clear that when we speak, when we seek God for what we should say, he will let us know. God's not trying to hide himself from us. James chapter 1, verse 15 says, But if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given unto him. And when he's talking about wisdom, he's talking wisdom in all areas of life, especially something as vital and as crucial as our words, because Scripture shows how much important our words are. But the Bible says here that if we ask God genuinely for wisdom and how to respond, he will give it to us. Now, some of you may ask the question, well, Pastor Zach, what does that look like? What does it look like for God to give you the words that you need to say? Now, I want to say this on the front end. I don't always do this perfectly. Uh, My wife can attest to that, okay? But let me give you a few ways of how the Lord responds to me. And and scripturally, we see when we ask him for wisdom and what to say. First, when I am faced with a difficult situation... And I ask God how I should respond, and I usually do that. Sometimes I can be talking to people, and as as I'm listening, I'm praying in my spirit, Oh Lord, give me the words for how I should respond in this moment. The Bible says pray at all times, so that's your you can pray in your spirit. More often than not, the primary way that God speaks to me to speak to other people is He will lay Scripture on my heart to tell someone. The Bible makes it clear that Scripture is the cornerstone work for how he's going to move and work in our life. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, All Scripture is inspired by God is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. He says, Scripture is the primary thing that people need. And so it makes sense that one of the first things that God will do is to lay on our heart Scripture to give, one, to give other people. Let me say something to you this morning, church. This is the vocabulary by which God speaks. This is the word of God. And we say this to you, the more that I hide God's word in my heart, the more that I stay in God's word, the more I memorize scripture, then the broader my vocabulary becomes in order for God to speak through me. And that's true for every one of us this morning. A second read, second way. When I'm faced with a difficult situation, I ask God how I should respond. Sometimes, if the Lord doesn't lay scripture on my heart, he will lay a personal testimony on my heart of how God has worked in my life, or in the lives of other people that I know that are dealing with that same situation. Where where I can point them to the fact of God's faithfulness. And Scripture talks about the power in our testimonies. And then there's a third way. And I will say that this is probably the, the primary way that God does this in my life is leading me through Scripture. But there is a third way. And this is more of a supernatural way. It's those moments when God gives us supernatural direction of what we need to say to someone. And by this I mean, essentially, this is when the Lord gives you a word for someone. Now, the Bible makes it clear that God is always speaking to his children. John chapter 16 says that Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you. And then he talks about how the Holy Spirit will come and disclose these things to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, Paul talked about how supernatural moments in which he gives people the gift, it's a spiritual gift, to be able to communicate to people a specific word. He says, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. He's basically saying that there are those moments where God can give you supernatural wisdom about something that's going on in somebody's life, supernatural knowledge about something that's going on in somebody's life, so that you can be his vessel to speak to them. 
Essentially, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge is God giving you divine direction so that you will be able to say just the right thing at just the right moment as though you are speaking the utterances of God to them. Now, let me give you an example of this. Pastor and author Sam Storms, he's an incredibly uh, biblical pastor, and he told the story about how uh, he was at his church one day, and uh, they called up to his office and said that there is a mother and a daughter here who desperately need to speak with a pastor. And he didn't know who these people were, so they invited them into a prayer room. They sat down in this prayer room, and it was a mother with her sophomore-aged daughter uh, who was going to a university there nearby. And the mother started telling the pastor the story of how when she, the daughter was always a happy girl, always involved in things. And when she went to college, her first semester was great, and she made great grades, and everything was well. But then midway through her second semester at college, she really started to struggle. Uh, she started to struggle emotionally and, and, and physically in many ways. Her grades started to decline, and she has started her second year of college, and her emotional state had become worse and worse and worse. And they went to several doctors and physicians trying to help her. She struggled with anxiety and depression and so many things, different medications. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with with using medications in these ways. And seeing doctors and therapists, God can use them in great ways. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so that's that's a good thing. But none of that had helped. And she had gotten so bad that the mother had picked her up from school and was on the way to take her to an emergency room so that she could be checked in an inpatient to a mental health facility in that moment. And on the way to the hospital, she said she just felt she needed to stop at a church and see if God had anything to say. But obviously this pastor was a little felt inadequate in that moment. And by the way, that's absolutely true for every pastor in those moments and those situations. But the pastor knew the one who did know. And he said, well, ma'am, can we just pray for a moment? And said he opened up in prayer and said, Lord, you know this family. You know what's going on. I pray that if you have anything specific that you want to say to them right now, I pray that you would speak. And he said that he just paused for a moment. And in his mind flashed the name Kevin. And he said he looked up at this family and he said, guys, this may sound crazy and I'm just going to ask. If not, there's no big deal here. But for any reason at all, does the name Kevin mean anything to y'all? Suddenly the young college girl erupted in tears. The mother was trying to console her, and she turned to her mother and said, Mother, halfway through my freshman year, I went to a party, and I was raped by a man named Kevin. I've never said that. She had never said that to her mother, had never told a soul. It was a deep, dark place in her heart. And when her mother rightfully took her to a place to hear from God, God saw that little girl and wanted to bring that pain into the light so she could begin to find healing and hope. Friends... God still does those things. God is still pursuing people. Now, now that being said, let me give you a word of caution here. There has been much harm that has taken place through supposed prophets and people using word of knowledge, speech, and false teachings that come under the guise or the heading of saying, thus says the Lord. Let me give you a couple of ways that you can know whether or not it's godly or not. If it's godly, if it's true, first off, he will, the Holy Spirit's never going to say anything that contradicts his word right here. And secondly, Jesus will always be glorified. It's always about pointing people to Jesus. I heard an example of a false prophet just recently. 
about he was prophesying about the state of our nation and things going on in our nation. And during the prophecy, the man made a statement and says, Thus says the Lord, just about, just like in the time and the moment when you made your covenant with America. As soon as he said that, I had a timeout. That moment in my spirit was a check and said, This is a false prophet. Because nowhere in Scripture has God made any covenant with America. The last covenant that God made was through Jesus and His blood to all the world. And so that's the way you can contradict those things. And you can begin to search for what is true. But then thirdly, when it comes to being intentional with our words. Let me say this. Friends, you don't have to be a pastor. If you're a man or woman of God with the Holy Spirit of God in you, God can use you. God can put you at just the right moments where He can speak through you a word of life. A word of hope for people who are searching. Sometimes all we have to do is say, Oh Lord, would you speak? Would you speak to me? And then lastly, the greatest way to be intentional with our words is sometimes just to say nothing at all. To say nothing at all. Scripture says, This you know, James 1.19, My beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. There will be those moments when you don't know what to respond And the best thing that you can do in those moments is to say, I have no words for you in this moment, but let's go to the God of all wisdom and let's pray. Sometimes the greatest ways that you can respond for people is just to pray for people. So again, the most important things, the ways we need to respond, the way that we need to speak purposefully is to be graceful in our speech and intentional in our speech. And then third and our final form of godly speech that we should aspire to is that our words would be spiritual. That we would be spiritual in our speech. Now I talk about using spiritual words. I'm talking about words that are inherently Christian. That are unique to God's people. Now there are all kinds of words that are good. That are God honoring. That Christians absolutely should do. I believe that Christians should look at people and smile and say hello. I believe that if you're a Christian, you leave here on Sunday morning and you go to lunch. I believe that you should greet your waitresses and waiters. You should pray for them if you get that opportunity. You should definitely tip well. If you leave a gospel track and not a tip, a tip may say you're hurting the gospel instead of helping. You should speak well to people. But here's the truth. People who are not believers can do the same thing. People who don't know anything about Jesus, they can be nice to people. They can be gracious. So when I talk about spiritual speak, we're talking about things that are uniquely Christian that should come from us having a relationship with Jesus that a lost world would not or does not do. In 1 Corinthians 1 verses 4 and 5, Paul mentions how those who were at Corinth, when they came to know Jesus, how they were changed. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. He's talking about when they were saved. That in everything you are enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Did you hear that? When they came to know Jesus, they were enriched in Jesus. That word enriched means to add something to. I, 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 don't, I don't exactly know what they put into that white bread when they say it's enriched white bread, but it's good, y'all. It makes the best peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the history of the world. But he's saying basically it's adding something to When you come to faith in Jesus, God gives you a new vocabulary. You should begin to speak differently. And there are things that are uniquely Christian, uniquely God-honoring if you know Jesus. So as we prepare to close, I want to give you a few of these very briefly. First, Christian speech should be filled with giving of thanks. You know, a lost world will never 
stop complaining. Because there's always a searching for more. The most rich people in the world, the, the, the most blessed people in the world are always looking for more. And because of that, there, there comes with natural levels of complaint and struggles and, and, and dissatisfaction. But for those of us who know Jesus, the Bible regularly speaks about how we should, we should be a people of thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul said, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When you come to know Jesus, you naturally should become someone who is thankful because you recognize not only do you have all that you have in Jesus, salvation, grace, uh, eternal security, all of these things, but you recognize everything good that you have comes from God. Your paycheck, your job, your health, your loved ones, even your next breath comes from God. And so we should be distinguishable by, but distinguished by our thanksgiving. And this is something in the American church we really need to work on. Because you go all over the world and you find persecuted Christians who have nothing in this world, but all they have is Jesus, and they consistently live at a place of thankfulness, and it would put all of us to shame. Friends, are you discernible to the world around you by your thankfulness? Secondly, Christian speech should be filled with praise to God. Now again, there's praise and thanksgiving are commonly mentioned together in Scripture, but they're, they're two different things. To give thanks to God is to thank Him for all that He's given you, all that He's done. To give praise to God is to praise Him just simply for who He is. Praising God is saying, God, you are good. You are holy. You are merciful. You are mighty. You are strong. It's when we talk about just loving God, we sing about loving Jesus. You're able to just truly say that from your heart. You're praising God, not just for the things that he's given you, but because of who he is. Let me tell you this. The foundation of genuine praise is relationship. Because you can't praise a God for who he is if you don't know him. Or you haven't walked with him recently. You're not walking intimately with him. Thirdly, Christian speech should be filled with prayer and petition. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul said to the Christians, pray without ceasing. Now, obviously that doesn't just mean external vocal prayers, that's internal prayers as well. And so, by the way, you can do that. You can be in a constant communication with God. Praying without ceasing is regularly speaking to God, vocally and also internally. But what that should mean is Prayers, vocal prayers, what comes out of your mouth should be a regular thing. Right now we're playing a lot of baseball in our world. We're playing for the Mars Ballpark and my little boy is in uh, 9 and 10 year old first year of player pitch which means you get to swing the bat some and you get hit by a lot of pitches. Okay, So that's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of bruised and a lot of that going on. But one of the things that they do to protect these little boys' arms is they have a, a number counter, a pitch counter. So every coach, when these little boys are pitching, every pitch he throws, he presses this button and he's counting every throw because there's a limit of how many pitches he can throw to make sure that he doesn't injure himself. And so they're constantly keeping record of that. You know what? I thought about it this last week in preparing for this message. You know, the Bible says that every one of our words we will give an account to God for. God in heaven has his own word counter. 
And everything that comes out of our mouth, everything that goes over our tongue, every word, we will give an account to God for him in that. And so imagine at the end of this day or at the end of your days next week, and if you were to, before you lay your head on your pillow at night, ask yourself the question, how many words have come out of my mouth today? And, and of those words, at the very least, praise, thanksgiving, and especially prayer should be something that is constantly on your mouth. How many times a day does your spouse hear you pray? Does your friends hear you pray? Your co-workers, do your children, those around you, do they hear prayer as something that's regularly on your mouth? It should be. And then lastly, the Christian speech should be filled with proclamation of the gospel. You think about it, all the things that should come out of our mouths. The gospel of the Lord Jesus. Brother Ron, you can begin to make your way back up. The gospel of the Lord Jesus should be one of the first and one of the most primary things that comes out of our mouth. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as uh, Jesus is preparing to ascend back to the Father, he's got just a few more moments here with his disciples face to face. And he makes this great statement. He says to them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I think about all the things that the Holy Spirit does to empower his people. But the first thing that it should do should change the way we speak. It says, and you shall be my witnesses. That means you are vocally sharing about who Jesus is. Psalms 107 verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. One of the most life-giving things that you can do for the world around you is to tell other people about Jesus, to tell him how good he is to you, to tell him what it means for you to walk with him. And you say, well, people won't listen to me or, or people already know that. Listen to me this morning, church. People need to hear. People who still need to know, they need to hear you vocally say that Jesus is good. People need to hear you say, Jesus loves you. People need to hear that. It's one of the primary things that the Lord has done. He's enriched us in all knowledge and speech. I came to know Him because of His grace and mercy. And that should change my speech. But again, friends, you won't talk about a Jesus you don't know. And you won't talk about a Jesus that you're not walking intimately with. This morning, I don't care who you are. We prayed that the Lord would lead every person here today that He desires. And we pray every week that God would send laborers to Heenan Baptist Church. We pray that God would send the lost. That God would send those who are searching. Those who are wondering what is the meaning in life. Wondering why they have this brokenness inside of them. I want you to know this morning that if that's you here today, it may be that you don't really know Jesus. But He loves you. And He loved you enough to die for you to take your sin, that you could truly be born again. And this morning, if you just call out to him, say, Jesus, I want to know you. Save me. He'll save you right there where you are. As we wrap up this series, we've talked about the problems with our speech and the purpose of our speech. I want to end on this story. I read the story this last week of a teacher. Like all teachers, every classroom, every year is different. This was a... Uh, college teacher. She, she taught at a junior college there in her town. And she noticed that one of her students was very withdrawn. He sat in the back of the room. He didn't talk. Barely did his work. 
And he was struggling. He was going to fail. But she said that God had put this young man on her heart. So she started making intentional efforts to try to encourage him, to try to talk to him. He would sometimes go out on the lawn there uh, in this small junior college and would eat a sandwich by himself. And so she would sit down and try to have her lunch with him and talk to him. And finally, he started to loosen up some towards the end of the semester. Is that He started to speak with her some, and he started trying to do his work, and she was helping him catch up. It came time for the end of the semester. Every student had to meet with the professor to get their grade. And when it was all said and done, the young man had made a D. He didn't do well, but he passed the class. And it came time for his meeting. All the other students had come, and he didn't show. She was praying that he would show. She was praying that he would show. She just wanted to let him know, you passed. You know, you, just, you passed. Finally, he didn't show up. She was closing her office, locking her office, and she heard steps coming down the hallway. She looked, and it was just a young man. She sat down with him and opened her office back up. Before she could even begin to talk to him, she said, he said to her, Professor, I know that I have not done good. I know that I didn't do good in this class, and it's all my fault. And I just want to let you know it's because I am worthless. The professor said, this is your grade. You passed. But aside from the grade, she put that aside. She said, I want you to know that you are not worthless, that you are loved. She shared the gospel with him, told this young man about Jesus. He left went home. A couple days later, at school, a mother came in, knocked at the door, said, are you professor? And she mentioned her name. She said, yes, I am. She started to weep. She said, I wanted you to know you saved my son's life. She said, what do you mean? She said that when he came home from meeting with you, he sat down with us and he told us that he had prepared to end his life that day. They walked up to his room and they found his room all set in order. They found his suicide note on his pillow, and they had found the place where he was going to end his life that day. The only thing that kept him from ending his life that day was that there was one lady, one professor, one person who had taken some interest in him, and he felt like he needed to at least go meet with her. And in that moment, she looked at him and she said, You are valued. You are loved. You are important. God loves you. And he came in and told his family where he was. Friends, I want you to know something today. You matter. Your words matter. And so in Jesus' name today, I want to send you out of this place to go speak life into people. Go love people. Notice people. Speak those words of encouragement. Speak those words of comfort. Be a vessel for God. Preach the gospel. Pray for people. Your words matter. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're here today and you say, man, I need somebody to speak some words of encouragement over me. One of our pastors will be here and we'd love to pray for you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you need to give your life to Jesus, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. You call out to Jesus right there where you are and say, Jesus, save me. If you would like somebody to help you with that, you come forward. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you'd like to join this church, if God is leading you to do that, you feel free to come. And as always, this altar is open if you just want to meet with God right there where you are. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Come now. You need to come.